see that the world's greatest artists come from backgrounds of pain and heartache. And poets, perhaps poets, have felt the most pain of them all. Sylvia Plath, Phyllis Wheatley, Edgar Allan Poe, Langston Hughes, Virginia Woolf, all beautiful things must first arise from the ugly. Hello and welcome back to another podcast episode. So far we've covered fiction, short stories, and today, memoir. And I think I picked a good one. I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. It's about 300 pages and it's a pretty easy read. It goes by quickly. If you don't know Maya Angelou, she was an incredible poet, memoirist, and civil and women's rights activist. Known for poems such as Still I Rise, Woman Work, and On the Pulse of Morning, but unfortunately passing on in 2014 at the age of 86. Maya Angelou hugely influenced the culture of this country and impacted poetry and literature forever with her style. She gave the black people, especially black women, a voice and inspired them to conquer stereotypes the way she had. First of her seven autobiographies, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings reflects on Angelou's early life, from birth to about the age of 18. Published in 1969, she actually started writing this book out of grief the day Martin Luther King died, which also happened to be her birthday. In her childhood alone, she faced enough trauma, violence, and heartbreak for a whole lifetime, even multiple lifetimes. I found this book to be absolutely brilliant, beautifully written. I love Angelo's style and work, hence why I read this book in the first place. Everything and everyone is so vividly described, it feels like you're watching a movie. It's tragic, it's beautiful, it's heartwarming, and it's quite the tearjerker. The strength of this woman is just absolutely incredible, and my heart goes out to any African-American woman forced to endure American, more specifically American South, society in the 20th century, and even sometimes today. The story of Maya Angelou, born Marguerite Johnson, tackles the themes of race, religion, femininity, sexuality, and family better than most works of fiction could, in my opinion. I wish I had the time to talk about all of these, but for now, I'll stick with race and sex. Growing up as a black girl in the South in the 1930s and 40s, Angela faces her fair share of discrimination based on her skin color and gender. The tiny details and anecdotes she incorporates into her story allow the reader to travel back and witness the treatment of black people by white in the early 20th century. The lynchings, the slurs, the little comments and belittling all add up as the story progresses. And what is even more powerful than this is how the different members of Maya's family react to this racism and resist it. Growing up, Maya did not have very many friends, so really the whole book revolves around her family. Mama, her adopted mother, keeps to herself. She bottles everything up, takes it all in, and tries to remain composed, even when little white brats run in and out of her store insulting her. Maya's father, known as Big Bailey, uh, buys flashy clothes, houses, cars, and asserts his masculinity over women to show that he overcame systematic racism, while the rest of his people still continue to suffer. Daddy Clydell, who is, um, who marries Maya's biological mother, has friends who are con artists and are able to scam white people by using their prejudices against them. They all deal with the same issues and handle them differently. After years of silence and being pushed around, Maya resists racism by taking to her writing and sending her message and story across the nation. But I was surprised that she did not mention this crucial part of her life very much in the memoir. 
She talks about her love of books from a young age, how she graduated at the top of her class, and how her neighbor and family friend lended her books and pushed her to speak up and find her voice. But for a famous poet, she speaks very little of her writing and poetry. The purpose of this autobiography is to describe the foundation of Angelo's life, how she became Maya Angelou as a person, not necessarily as a poet. We all know about her poetry and writing, but she wrote this to tell us her story. One of her most famous quotes actually is, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. No one knew about all of the traumatic events that turned her into the powerful, educated, and inspiring woman she was. As I said earlier, the most brilliant and successful artists oftentimes are the byproduct of trauma and heartbreak. Another topic explored throughout Angelo's story is femininity and sexism. Her rape by her mother's boyfriend is the most notable and shocking example of this, but her journey with sexual identity begins long before this and persists far after. Maya grew up with the idea that femininity could only be found in white women. She saw herself as overweight and awkward, but she viewed white girls and women like Mrs. Cullinan as elegant and beautiful. We see this right away in the prologue where Angelo writes, Wouldn't they be surprised when one day I woke out of my black ugly dream and my real hair, which was long and blonde, would take the place of the kinky mask that mama wouldn't let me straighten. My light blue eyes were going to hypnotize them after all the things they said about my daddy must have been a China man because my eyes were so small and squinty. Then they would understand why I had never picked up a southern accent or spoke the common slang and why I had to be forced to eat pig's tails and snouts because I was really white and because a cruel fairy stepmother who was understandably jealous of my beauty had turned me into a too big negro girl with nappy black hair, broad feet, and a space between her teeth that would hold a number two pencil. This excerpt from the book really stuck with me, and it pulled me in before the autobiography even really began, as this is in the prologue. From a young age, it was engraved into Maya's head that she could not feel beautiful or feminine because she was black, as if there was some kind of correlation between the two, which is just absolutely ridiculous. This changes, however, when she meets her biological mother, Vivian, who is the most beautiful woman she has ever seen. She writes, My mother's beauty literally assailed me. Her red lips split to show even white teeth, and her fresh butter color looked see-through clean. Her smile widened her mouth beyond her cheeks, beyond her ears, and seemingly through the walls to the street outside. I was struck dumb. I knew immediately why she had sent me away. She was too beautiful to have children. I had never seen a woman as pretty as she, who was called Mother. This should be a turning point for young Marguerite in discovering her own beauty and femininity, having a strong, beautiful female role model. But unfortunately, it's not long after meeting her mother that she is raped and her sense of uh, gender and sexuality is left damaged for many, many years afterward. It takes her a really long time to recover from this traumatic experience. She rarely talks and she really struggles socially, both in school and with family. All three of her families, actually, the family that raised her, her mother's family, and her father's family. It takes a really long time for her to find herself, but in the end, we see that she does. As the book concludes with her sleeping with her baby and motherhood being the ultimate symbol of femininity, we see that after all the abuse, violence, humiliation, and trauma, 
She is finally liberated from her childhood and has grown into herself as a woman, as an African-American, and as a person, which is incredibly powerful. Maya Angelou's story is an inspiration to us all. Despite all of the discrimination and suffering of her childhood, Maya Angelou remained hopeful, persistent, and determined. We are able to watch as this shy, awkward, and scarred little girl full of self-doubt and shame finds her voice and uses it to touch women and minorities around the world. Thank you.